What up, folks? What it do? Hey, welcome to another episode of the Best Advice Ever podcast. This is the Deuce, number two, and I'm your host, comedian Mike Goodwin, the bowtie comedian minus the bowtie. But it's going down, and I want to thank y'all so much for tuning in to the podcast. Hopefully, you are having a great week. It's the hump day. Get your hump on. Well, I'm sorry. That was a little inappropriate. <laughs> Don't, if you're married, get your hump on. If you're out here just living a life of singleness, continue to press towards the mark of the high call. <laughs> All right. So, I'm excited, man. Thank y'all so much for tuning in to the first episode. It was a badass. We had a ball, and I'm excited to go on this journey. I recently was on the road again. On the road again. I just can't wait to get on the road again. I was in Sacramento, California. Actually, about 40 miles away from Sacramento. El Dorado Hills in Spanish. El Dorado means the golden. So the golden hills of Sacramento. I was at the district church for their dream team event. And we had a great time. Saturday night, I did uh, a stand-up for the church, well, for the for the volunteers or for the for the folks that serve in the ministry. And then the next morning, Sunday service, I did three services. So they had an 8:30, a 10 o'clock, and an 11:30. I did 15 minutes at each service. And so we had a, a great time. Pastor CJ, he was sharing his vision for 2023. So it was a pretty dynamic service. What I really enjoyed, they looked at what they've accomplished over the last five years and then what goals that they're aspiring to take on in 2023. And they've done some outstanding and amazing things. There was a few things that stood out to me that Pastor CJ shared that really resonated. One of the things he talked about, he doesn't want to build big buildings. He wants to build big people. That really resonated. Like I was like, oh, man, that's that's pretty dope want to build big people. The other thing he said, he was talking about how can we invest in others? Like what can we do to sow seeds into others? Oftentimes, man, we live in a society where we're pretty self-centered. We're pretty inward looking. So I thought it was very, a very good message to say, hey, how can I take the gifts and the talents and the abilities that God has given me and help other folks along their journey? He talked about having God-sized dreams. That's bold dreams. That That's really something that I was like, man, I really have to be deliberate about having God-sized dreams. I be having like Mike Goodwin-sized dreams. And those are good-sized dreams, but that's not like the exceedingly, abundantly, above all. Like I just be having big, but God-sized dreams, that's like, infinite those are like tremendously unmeasurable dreams so I, I i really dug that and the last thing that stood out to me he talked about just be a witness and it's basically share your story be a witness share your story do go out and share what god has done for you and how he's blessed you in your life and i really enjoy california church culture man those folks they cuss in church um, in the South, we typically wait till we get to the parking lot, but 
Not in California, boy. They are very free in their faith. And I know I had a I had an outstanding time with the folks of, of district of district church. I actually have a pen with the the living, the living, the tree of life on it. So he talked about at the beginning in his in his when he shared with the dream team folks, he talked about serving from the tree of life and serving from a place of gratitude, a place of fullness, not serving as though you're trying to get God to love you more or you're trying to make your actions be the thing that God will bless. But no, you're blessed because he loves you and he created you for a purpose. So, yeah, I had a great time in uh, El Dorado. El Dorado also is a pretty affluent place. I was doing some research. Their uh, poverty level is like 4%. Wow. That's not like the, the av- natural average. That's like way lower than natural average. That was tremendous. And, I mean, it looked like there was money out there. Like, you, you could just see places, and you're like, man, evil, that, that bag. Uh. But, no, man, I had, I had a great time on the road. Now, being on the road is quite challenging, and I did have a little bit of a, of a, what would I, I would say, so so when I travel, most times, especially when I go to events and I have to fly, typically I had to rent a car. That's in most cases I have, have to rent a car. If the place is pretty close, I'll get an Uber or someone from the ministry will be able to come and pick me up. But those days of people picking you up from the ministry, those days are few and far between. Folks, folks got stuff to do. They like, hey, rent a car or, or jump in an Uber. So most times I have to rent a car because, again, it was 40, 40 miles from the city of Sacramento, and my spirits were dashed when I went to find the, the, the rental car area, and there was a sign for a shuttle bus. You're like, oh, come on, player. That's not how I want to roll, man. I want to get off the flight and get right into a rental car. That's the next mode of transportation I want to get into. Plane, car. That's my desired mode of transportation. I don't want to get in a train a tram. I don't. I want to walk right out of the airport to the rental car place, get in the rental car, and be on my merry way. No, sir. Not in Sacramento. You got to go and wait for that bus, Jack. And I don't think that they were really. That's a priority. The bus driver that took you to the the, uh, the rental car place. He, I think he had other routes because it took him about fifteen minutes. He like, I got time today. And I'm like, man, bro, I got 40 minute drive, man. Come on, let's get this, let's get this thing popping. And I had a show that night. Like, if I had a show the next day, I'm like, Mr. Dr- Bus Driver, take your time. Do what you want to do. That's what he told us in the military. I had a drill sergeant used to always say, Take your time, private. Just take your time. And he really did not mean take your time. Like, <laughs> that's the wild thing about the military. He did not mean that. I don't know why he said it all the time. Drill Sergeant Richie from Sugar Land, Texas. I'll never forget that man. It's probably been 30 years since I've been in base training. And I remember, <laughs> take your time, private. And that's exactly what my man was doing on the shuttle bus. He was taking his ever-loving time. But got on the bus on the shuttle. And actually, when I made it over to the rental car place, there wasn't a lot of people written from the place I was written from. So I went right up, got my vehicle. But then I got to the vehicle and somebody had like Jimmy rigged the license. 
So it was kind of hanging off. And my man was like, yeah, I can't. I can't give you this vehicle. We got to find another vehicle. I was like, hey, man, we can just get another another twist tie and put it on there. He's like, nah, bro, we got to get you another another vehicle. So, again, shout out to the folks at J- District Church. Had a wonderful time, and I'm excited. Would love to be back. I think I'll be back in the future at some point. So that's what we're doing. So now let's transition to the what you're not going to do part of the podcast welcome to the what you're not gonna do part of the podcast you know that's my signature signature phrase my mother said that my entire life what you're not gonna do is basically taking five words and put them together what you not gonna do those are the five words you mash them together And basically, that's just informing you that, hey, that's probably not the best course of action. When somebody says what you're not going to do, they say, hey, you might want to revisit what you're planning on doing. That's a basic layman's understanding, translation of what you're not going to do. But but it rolls off your tongue. If you're a teacher, if you're a parent, it just just rolls off like your child is putting their finger in the leg. Hey, hey, what you're not going to do? is put your little little nubby fingers inside the electrical socket. You know, you should just say it. What you're not going to do, you know, is leave your socks on the floor. I think my wife, she hadn't said that to me, but her facial expression has said that quite a few times. But again, I always hear and see stories that um, I'm pretty excited about. I wish somebody would have got to the person before the story became a story and they probably wouldn't have done it like if somebody would like hey man what you're not gonna do is and then they would have been like oh yeah you're right like i don't know if y'all big nfl fans again i always say i'm not a football fan but it's it's omnipresent it's um it's uh, uh ubiquitous it's everywhere you can't get away from football and i saw the receiver De- uh Devontae adams man i think he played for the las vegas raiders the Raiders, they keep moving cities. I, I don't know where these, I don't even know where these teams are located now. They used to be in Oakland. Now they in Los, I don't know. I don't know. I can't keep up. But I think he played for the I think he played for the Packers. And then I think he went to the Raiders. If I'm not mistaken, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not Stephen A. Smith. But they they lost the game and he pushed the reporter down, man. Bro, what you're not gonna do is put your hands on people at your job. Didn't we talk about this already? With Draymond Green, now we got Devontae. These boys with these D names, they need, they need to keep their hands to themselves, man. Cut it out. Who's next? Huh? Dwight Howard? Where, where you going? Dwight ain't even in the league. He going to do something. He going to put his hand on somebody. Huh? Damian Little, is he going to be the one next to put his hands on people? Devontae Adams pushed the reporter, and I know as the reporter was falling, in his mind, he was saying, I'm rich. Like, I, I just knew, like, as soon as he felt himself, I'm rich. You will be hearing from my attorneys, baby. Don't go taking pictures for me at NFL games, baby. Oh, my gosh. That is instant litigation. This man is taking clicky, click, click, and now I'm falling backwards. <laughs> 
by NFL player push, that's a big push. Like if Mike Goodwin push you, that's just like a regular comedian push. That's not, that's not going to invoke any injury. And my bag is not as big as Devontae Adams' bag. My bag is a smaller bag. Devontae Adams' bag way, way out here. Mike Goodwin bag. And I'm not even going to push you with two hands. I might push your shoulder. Like that, you know, that's not going to cause you to stumble. He puts that man on the ground, dog. That's, that's, that's like humiliating. Like, but you know what heals humiliation? Checks. Direct deposit. <laughs> income. Passive income. Only thing you did was just having to be taking pictures, and now you're getting checks. Did he wake up that morning and say, man, this is the last day I'm probably going to work? He didn't say that. He was like, hey, man, dog, it's going to be a long night. I got to go to the night game. I, th I think it was that night. You shouldn't be pushing people that have cameras. <laughs> like, keep your people, keep your hands to yourself. I don't know how many times we got to say this. What you're not going to do is put your hands on people. So, that's Devontae Allen. Let, let's see what's going on in the national news front. I saw some stories that I found to be very in interesting. In Jackson, Michigan, prosecutors raised concerns Wednesday about a female juror who apparently has been smiling at one of the three men on trial in connection with a plot to kidnap the governor, Gretchen, Gretchen Whitmire. Hey, what you're not going to do is be making googly eyes at the folks on trial. That's just not, that's going to get you excused from jury duty. So maybe this woman's a genius. Maybe she's figured out, I don't, I don't want to do this, man. I don't want to sit in these long hearings, these proceedings. I got stuff to do, man. I got Zoom calls I need to be on. I have to go and pick up dry cleaning. Go get my kids from school. Maybe if I just smile at the folks on trial, they'll send me home. And especially if you pick in one out of the three. If you smile at all three, they'd be like, they'd be confused. Like, well, she probably is favorable to the but one. Like, we gotta get out of here, man. She gotta go. So what you're not going to do is be on jury duty in Jackson, Mississippi, smile at Mississippi, Jackson, Michigan. That's interesting, too. I, there's some cities that just are more popular. I, I know Jackson, Mississippi off the top of my head. I, I'm not familiar with Jackson, Michigan. Uh, Summerworth, Summersworth. An ATM was stolen from outside of the service credit union on Penny Lane early Friday morning. Uh, the police captain, John... Sunderland said that the credit union's burglary alarms were triggered around 3.04 a.m. and adds surveillance footage shows a standalone 24-hour drive through ATM was removed with a pickup truck. Why, people? Why are we stealing ATM? Is money inside an actual ATM? There's some money in there. I wonder how much money. That should have been something I took a look at. You know what's a better way to get money than the stealing ATMs? 
Get a job and go to work. That's a that's a good thing to do. Uh, what you're not gonna do is steal ATMs. What's the average amount? Up to two hundred thousand. Okay. So it's not a one person job. I would suspect. I would suspect there's probably two people that's taking this ATM, and let's say there's two hundred thousand in it. So we split this. And we get a hundred thousand each. So that means you have to steal an ATM every year, unless you're gonna have to keep your regular job. And then, what do you do with the ATM parts after you've stolen them? What, what, what is where do they go? Chop shop? Do you just drop it off on the side of the road like a stolen car? People are very inventive. And imaginative, imaginative, I don't know if that's a real word, but have great use of their imagination for criminal activity. Like, what if you took that? I think that word is sublimate. I think that's what that is. If you take negative energy and move it into a positive, you're being, you're you're sublimating your, if I'm not mistaken. You know, I'm the word guy. I like, I like words. But, yeah, that's what you're not going to do, folks. That is uh, uh, interesting. I, I thought the fact that we are stealing ATMs at 3 o'clock in the morning. But when, when will you steal? What's a good time to steal an ATM? I think 3 a.m. is probably the best time. That's the time to get it done. So I'm not mad at the time. I'm mad that y'all stole a whole ATM. And I'm glad that, you know, the paper didn't say ATM machine because that's what the M and ATM stands for. You often hear people say the ATM machine. But it's just the ATM. So that's what we got going on out here in the earth. So what you're not going to do is be one of these folks that have all this energy and imagination and creativity for criminal activity, man. Just uh let's just get some employment. Let's let's do some entrepreneurial endeavors. You probably can sell really strong chains. Like if you were like, hey man, you know how these are ATM stealing chains right here. Like you can you can produce the type of chains that hey these chains will move a car. They'll move an ATM. You need to invest in our product. But yeah, that's it. So today's episode, the best advice that I that ever that I want to share today is no is a complete sentence. It's okay to say no. It's appropriate to say no, but for whatever reason. I've found in my life that, you know, the older I am, the more difficult it is to tell people no. And then not only do I feel like it's difficult to say no, I also want to give a reason for the no. And I'm here to tell you that no is a complete sentence. It's okay to say no. There's something called autophobia. Autophobia. Phobia 
is simply the fear of being alone. And I think a lot of times when folks say no, they think people are going to abandon them. They're going to not be there for them and not support them. I think another reason that people don't want to say no is that they avoid conflict. They want to avoid, avoid confrontation and conflict. And I was raised by a man who was the king of conflict. So, you know, similar to Bane, when people talk about, I was raised in conflict. You merely adopted it. That's, that's how I feel about conflict. My father, and I'll, I'll be talking about my father a lot because he was, you know, my dad. And I spent a lot of time under his dictatorship. I mean, tutelage. And so I'm telling you, I, could, I was maybe about, I know I was a teenager, so I had to been. 14, 15, my dad, my dad called me in his room now. So, so what you understand about my dad is I've been, again, I'm, I can't get away from hands made to because it's such, it's such a wild show, but similar to when the commanders would call the handmaidens into their, into their office, it's a solemn time. Like it's something of, of, of it's, it's, it's not good. It's not a, it's not going to be a pleasant scenario so that's what my dad would do every now and then he would he would bring you into his room and, and sit you down on the bed and you'd be like oh man that's about to, this is about to be an issue so my dad brought me in the room one day sat me on his bed and he said son my job in life is to tell you no i said what excuse me yeah my dad was like hey I'm in your life so that you can hear no. I'm going to tell you no. That's my purpose. That's my life's mission is to tell you no. I was like, and what can you say? You know, you're a teenager. My dad was a very intimidating figure. He's very, very, very hawking kind of guy. He was a blue-collar worker, worked at a, a sand factory company, you know, hard hat work boots kind of guy. And he said his his job was to tell me no. And so I was raised in conflict. I was born in it. In fact, when I got married, I don't remember what year this was. At some point early in our marriage, my wife said to me, you say no real easy. Like you, you don't have any issue saying no. I'm like, no, I don't. I don't know. Nope, we're not buying that. We're not going that. We're not going there. I said, man, I was raised in this. My father groomed me <laughs> under the no mandate. No means no. Matter of fact, oh, that, hey, y'all got kids in the car. This is going to be a, <laughs> a moment. But my father, so if you have kids, this is a simple thing that you might want to pause. But my father didn't talk to me much about women at all. Like I didn't, we didn't have a, we didn't have the birds and the bees. So we did have a talk. My, one time, my father saw I was I was interested in this little young lady up the street. I spent a lot of time over there, and I guess this was his equivalent to the sex talk. My father again it called me into his room, sat me on the bed, said, "Hey, I see you. Spent a lot of time with the young lady up the street." I was like, "Yes, sir." He said, do you like her? I said, yeah, I like her. He said, okay. 
He said, don't take anything that doesn't belong to you. That was all my father ever told me about dealings with the with women, with people in the opposite sex. My father said, don't take anything that doesn't belong to you. I understood in some type of way what he meant. And that, that really wasn't poor advice. That was very good advice. Even though I don't, I don't take things from people. I, I ask. I'm not a taker. I'm a ace. Can I? Can I? I would like to. If you don't mind. I know you got it on you. <laughs> but yeah, so that's my dad, man. So no is a complete sentence, folks. And it's appropriate to tell people no. Like you should practice it. It's okay to say no when you really can do it. Like, it's appropriate to say no. It's appropriate to set boundaries. It's appropriate to value your time and your energy. And I, and I think that's very difficult for folks, especially as we navigate with relationships and in business. My sister says this all the time to me, and I think this also adds into my ability to say no. She says, I don't have FOMO. I'm like, you have no FOMO. Like, I have no fear of missing out because I realize I'm going to miss out. Like, I'm not going to be able to do everything. My first, and the military, and I'll talk a lot about this as we as we go on, but the military, like, imprinted itself. Like, a big part of my identity happened with my four years I spent in active duty right after high school like that that really probably shaped me as much as anything else had in my life and I remember missing Thanksgiving for the first time when I was in basic and up until that point I never missed any family gatherings I'd always been with my family in holidays and in basic you know you don't go home like you go home when you're done you don't go home I think maybe there may be some folks that go home for Christmas and may have to come back, but we graduated right around early part, the middle part of December. So I went home for Christmas that particular year. And then I was on to Korea, but I remember missing that Thanksgiving. Then I missed the following Thanksgiving cause I was in Korea. And then I just, I, I think at that point I lost my ability to say, oh, I'm supposed to be like, I can't go home. Like there's some things that you aren't going to be able to do. Like, and there's nothing you can do about it. So that really made an imprint on me. And so I don't, I'm, I know I'm a mistake. Like, that's just, that's just what it is. My wife and I, we, you know, I have a business where I'm doing comedy. She does a lot with uh, Gabby Bowles with my daughter. And so in our life, especially at our church, you know, folks would invite us to things. They'd be like, hey, we're having a gathering at the house on Friday night. You know, want y'all to come over. And so we would not be able to because either I was out of town, my wife was out of town. And after a while, if you keep telling people no, they stop inviting you. And you're going to miss out. And you're going to look on Facebook and you're going to see the beautiful pictures of people having a great time. And so I've... I've internalized this, like, I'm not going to be able to make everything. and I'm not going to be able to do everything. So it's okay. It's okay to say no. No is a complete sentence. And the thing that I've realized recently is you saying no gives someone else an opportunity to hear yes. 
So my no will allow someone else to hear a yes. My daughter says this. She has a keynote that she does, and she says no means next opportunity. And I think that oftentimes we look at no like it's a negative thing. And I think you hear however many no's before you hear a yes. So let's say, for instance, there's 10 no's before you hear a yes. I'm like, let's get through these no's. Let's go and get the no's so that we can hear the yes. And I think that um, if we had that type of posture to hearing no and saying no, because it doesn't feel good. You know, when you ask somebody a question, people say, what's the worst they could do is say no. Well, yeah, no one want to hear no. <laughs> I don't want to hear no. I want to hear yes. That's why I'm, I'm not asking the question to hear no. And so it's appropriate. It's fine. It's okay to feel confident in saying no. And, you know, I'm learning that lesson continuously. There are folks that I've worked with that booked me in the past, and now 10 years later they appear and like, hey, man, we want to come get you to do the thing, but we want the thing that we did seven years ago price. You got the seven years ago price? Because, you know, that was a nice price, man. You came, you was knockout, funny, everybody had a good time. But that price, though, and I'm like, ah, that price is expired. Yeah, right. We we not doing that price no more. And so, in fact, I just got a a, a message from uh, the guy that books me today. A woman wanted me to come and do an event, and she said she had asked for me to to come do an event, maybe at nineteen, and she presented a particular price, and I was like, no, I, you know, I'm not gonna be able to do it. So she said to the guy, well, since he didn't win America's Got Talent, I thought his price would be less. <laughs> he was like, what? No, no, no. Yesterday's price. It's not today's price. That's just, I don't, I, that that made no sense to me. Like, I thought since he didn't win it, he brought them prices down. Like, no, not going to be able to do it. And so no is appropriate. It's appropriate to say no. Even as believers, I think sometimes we have this kind of guilt around saying no and not being available I think a lot of times folks will say, you know, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. And I'm like, well, the Lord ain't got to go pick his kids up from school today. I can't, I can't do it. It's okay to say no. It's okay to say no. That's the point that I, I think that is important to realize. It's okay to say no. No is a complete sentence. So that's the best advice of Oh, the best advice ever. That's the best advice ever for the day. No is a complete sentence. So feel comfortable that you set priorities, you think about things, and you have, you know, people off, and you say no a lot of ways. Like, there's like, I'm sorry. Unfortunately, I'm unavailable. You say no by saying, um, that just isn't in the budget. People, the no I hate to hear is we went another direction. That That's not the no. No, you didn't. You went the comedy direction. You didn't choose me. That's what you're doing. <laughs> we we went another direction. It's not, it's not like you went and got a band. 
It wasn't like you say, hey, man, we was going to have a banquet, but now we having a concert. You go another direction. You got another artist. If you went and got another comedian and you didn't get me, you didn't go another direction. You went the comedy direction. You didn't book me. So that's a no. When I hear that no, I chuckle a little bit. I don't like to hear that. And, I man, I've, I've gotten some no's. People have booked Frank Sinatra impersonators. <laughs> what? I didn't get the job, but a Frank Sinatra impersonator got the job. Uh, magicians. I mean, it's all kind of belly dancers that got a job. I didn't. <laughs> I'm like, hey, man, I can, hey, I can do the little belly. I can shake the belly roll. Come on, man. Give me a chance. I can wear the bow tie and the belly roll. Let's do the <laughs> I don't think I lost to a belly dancer. That's that's how jokes work, people. Another that's another joke. But no, that has been the best advice ever, Saving. So today I want to I want to introduce a new segment called the worst advice ever. We know this is the best advice ever podcast, but in life we don't always get the best advice. Sometimes we get some trash advice. So I want to share with you, I've gotten so many, but this is one of the worst bit of advice I've ever heard. So let's think back to a younger Michael Goodwin. This is a Michael Goodwin that is a senior in high school. I'm the oldest of three And I had applied to one college my senior year. I applied to the mighty South Carolina State Bulldogs, the mighty University of South Carolina State. That's the only college I applied to my senior year, and I was accepted. There was some concern for me, because I'm the oldest of three, how we would be able to afford it. You know, I'm from a probably lower middle class family. I had a younger brother and a younger sister, working class parents. So I don't think there was a college fund off to the side. There was no money saved up. And I wasn't a good student. So I had no grants, no scholarships. Well, I did win a scholarship, but it was like $500. And they didn't give me my scholarship because I guess I didn't go to college. But like, We're not going to give you a scholarship if you don't go to college. So I never got that money. But I went to college later, and they still didn't send that money. But at this time of my life, I was really concerned about how to pay for college. I just And I didn't want my parents to have that burden of, of doing it. And so I started looking at options. I started looking at how can I afford to pay for college. Because what I didn't want to do was go to college for one semester and then get a bill or, or get some type of information that, hey, you don't have enough money to continue. I, I just thought that that was a, like a real thing. I'd seen that happen with folks before that were kind of from my area. They went to school and they spent a year at school and then they didn't have the money to continue. So they had to go get a job. And then once they got a job, they ended up getting a girlfriend, the girlfriend got pregnant and then they never made it back to college. So I knew that I didn't want to go to college, come home for a semester work, go to college, come home for a semester work. And then I wanted to go to college and have amenities. I wanted to get haircuts. I wanted to maybe go to a movie. 
go out on a date. Like I wanted to have an adult experience in college. I wanted to have some gear, possibly buy some some curb colognes, because that's the only cologne that people were wearing back then. Curb and cool water. Those were the two most popular choices in my time frame. So I wanted those amenities, right? So I knew that financially I needed to have money. I needed bread. So I started looking at military options. I looked at the Marines. And I was really thinking about the Marines. But at the time, I, I talked to the Army recruiter. And the Army at this moment had something called the GI Bill, the Montgomery College Fund. And it was where if you put $1,200 into, uh, you, you know, you gave $100 a month for a year, you paid that into your account. You either got $20,000 if you served for two years, $25,000 for three, or $30,000 for four. And that's the money that you would get in return to pay to go to college. And this is in, you know, I started college in 1997. But this was 93 when I was having conversations about it. So I was like, okay, if I can get $30,000, that would cover the cost of college. Unlike today, where $30,000 would cover a year. Like, that's how much times have changed. So I was really seriously having conversations with recruiters. I, I went and took the ASVAB, talking to the recruiters, and I'm kind of communicating with my family members that, hey, I think this Army is the direction I want to go. But I'm not I'm not really sure because I had the reserves. I was thinking I could do the reserves and then maybe, you know, get that money and pay and continue to work and be in school. Cause I want, but I didn't want to go to college and work all the time. I didn't want to be in class and be at work. I didn't want to be one of those folks. I wanted to go to college and experience the full, the full college experience. I wanted to live on the dorms. I wanted to eat in the calf. I wanted to join the frats. Like I wanted to do all the things, right? So I'm in a, a dilemma. I'm, I'm looking at my options. One of the options was go to school with, with questionable money and stay a semester and come back home and work in Camden or join the reserves and kind of work piecemeal the money together or go in full time into the military, get the money, then go to college. So that's kind of, I was, I was, I had those, I had those options, but I hadn't made a decision. I was just kind of in that place. So this is where the worst advice starts. I'm sitting at home. It's a Saturday afternoon, it's midday like two o'clock in the afternoon, I'm sitting in our living room watching something frivolous on television, maybe golf. I'm just at the house, really didn't have anything. Didn't, I don't think I had to work that particular day. So I'm just at the crib. So my dad comes in and my dad didn't go to college. My mom didn't go to college. My dad pops in with my uncle who at the time I did not know went to college. So my dad, comes into the house with my uncle and they kind of got this kind of grin, this smile like, oh, we about to drop the mother load on my man. We about to tell him about this college money that we've been saving up. Nobody said anything about it. We got this money. We got this little this little hoop that we're going to be able to give you. You can go back and forth to school. It's going to be all good. So my dad came in with that kind of look and I'm like, yeah, that's because that's what I wanted to hear. I wanted to hear that these things were available. So my dad told me to turn off the TV. Your uncle got something to tell you about college. I'm like, okay, here we go. This is the money conversation. This is what I've been waiting for all my days. South Carolina State 
here I come, baby. So my dad tells me, turn off TV and have a seat. Your uncle going to tell you why you need to go to college. I'm like, yes, sir. So I sit down. My dad, he got this grin. Like, man, he, 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 he's, he's, he, he has this, uh, 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 this aura as if, hey, man, this is the, we, we, we pulling out the big joker. Like, I'm going to drop the big joker. I'm going to drop the mic. Game over. So my uncle's name is Uncle Checky. Uncle Checky. I didn't realize that time, but Uncle Checky went to South Carolina State himself. He didn't graduate. He had about a semester left from college. So my dad comes in and says, hey, Uncle Checky going to tell you why you need to go to college. You know, he went to college down there in Orangeburg. Where you looking at going? So he kind of looks at my uncle. He said, hey, tell a boy why he need to go to college. My uncle steps up. Say you need to go to college because girls are there. Say what? Girls. I joined the army Monday morning. This what? You need to go to college because girls are there? That's that's not good advice. Matter of fact, that's the worst advice ever. To tell somebody why they need to go to college. Girls. Mind you, at this time, my good one had zero girls. <laughs> the girls in my neighborhood didn't like me. So how I'm going to show up, broke at Orangeburg, no haircut, bottle cap glasses, Throw down, throw me down clothes, and, and look, man, look at all the ladies. I'm single, ready to mingle, ladies. <laughs> I wish this was. I wish this was not my life. I wish this was something that I thought of. I, I made up. Girls is the reason why, and I went. That that solidified my decision. I searched four years in the United States Army <laughs> and got $30,000 to pay for my college. <sighs> but shout out to my dad, my Uncle Checky. Man, you, I'm telling you, you would have thought if they were like GMs on a team and I was a, a player looking to, like, to go into free agency and be like, hey, man, we signing LeBron James. Like, they had that type of energy. They had that... We got LeBron James coming on board energy. Girls, bro. That's my uncle told me. The absolute worst advice ever. Hey, man, thank y'all so much for tuning in on this episode of the Best Advice Ever podcast. If you want to send in a question, you can email us at info at ComedianMikeGoodwin.com. That's the Ask the Bowtie question. We'll have that's a segment that we'll have in there. Also, follow me on social media, on YouTube. We'll post the video. You can find the podcast wherever podcasts are available. It took a second for Apple, man. We had some, we had some issues with Apple Podcasts, but I, we, we're good to go now. So we're, we're all the places. We're, we're out there on the on but Beyonce's internet. So wherever you find your podcast, you can find the best advice ever podcast. Also check me out 
on my social media. I'm at Comedian Mike Goodwin on Facebook, on Instagram, and Twitter. I'm at Bowtie Comedy. Thank you again for checking in to the podcast. We appreciate you. We'd love for you to subscribe, follow, do all the things. And we drop a new episode every week. Every Wednesday, you will have an episode waiting for you of the best podcast ever with comedian Mike Goodwin. Thank y'all so much for tuning in, and I'll see you next week. Peace.